Hello again. Everybody doing okay still? We're good? Everybody, yeah, shake your head like this, all right. I had uh, some trepidation about doing this passage for Mother's Day. It seemed odd uh, to talk about the works of the flesh on Mother's Day. But then again, I don't think there's anyone who knows more about how the works of the flesh have manifested themselves in your life other than your mother. You see, really, that's why we make such a big deal about Mother's Day, why we send cards or gifts or make breakfast or whatever for our mother. It is simply, I don't know whether it is payback, we could never pay it back, or whether it is sort of blackmail so that she will not reveal the extent of the works of the flesh in our life online, right? So I don't know if, uh, if you are, is what it is. You see, the, Paul says that the works of the flesh are evident. So here in this text, we are in the middle of a discussion where Paul is saying, if we are not motivated to do the right thing, to, to honor God, to love other people by a threat of judgment, uh, out of insecurity because we're worried about whether or not God will accept us, if we know that God accepts and loves us simply because of the work of Jesus Christ that we accept by faith, then what is it that enables us to live a life that's pleasing to God? And so in this section, Paul says, here's what enables you. God's spirit enables you to live a life that's honoring to God. If we are going to live out the life God made for us, if we're going to live into our purpose, he says, walk by the spirit. But then last week, we looked at a, a difficult reality that even as followers of Jesus, there's still a battle that is going on inside of us. We want to walk by the Spirit. We want to keep our eyes on Him, keep in step with Him. We want to listen. We want to think. We want to be discerning about what the Spirit teaches us. We want to follow exactly where He goes. But we have this thing called the flesh in us. And it wants to do its own thing. And Paul says here in this passage that they are always working one against another. And so he decides to describe what some of these evidences of the flesh still doing its work in us are. And he lists several. Now notice that as he does so, this list is not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, he says, and others like these, uh, so we can think of all kinds of others as well. But why is this helpful? Well, it's helpful for us because he's going to contrast what those works of the Spirit are with those things that are the fruit or works of the flesh with those things that are the fruit of the Spirit. Now, unfortunately for you, we are going to wait until the fall to cover the second part of the contrast. So we are going to be doing a study in Isaiah over the summer, which uh, is daunting, but fun, I hope. And uh, then after Labor Day, we're going to come back and spend a concentrated time on the fruit of the Spirit explicitly. So today we're going to finish this part of the Galatians series looking at these works of the flesh. Now, let's start out with the fact that they are evident. Then let's look just briefly at the categories 
uh, that we can consider them under. Thirdly, I want us to, to see the danger uh, that Paul is describing here in the works of the flesh. And lastly, the answer for that danger. So first of all, uh, the evidence is. He does say that the, that it is, uh, the works of the flesh are evident. I like that. In other words, they are not subtle. You know, the things that he describes are not things that will sneak up on you or surprise you. They, they are out there. They are obvious. We know what they are. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity that cultures from around the world and over time have all agreed by and large to basic tenets of morality. Uh, that would be another way of saying that the works of the flesh are evident. Unfortunately, the works of the flesh are also evident even just looking in the mirror or doing any serious introspection in our own lives. While it may be tempting when we hear a list like this uh, to think of all of those people out there who struggle with those works of the flesh, let's be honest enough to say, well, that includes us too. Paul said there's a battle. And the flesh is working against the spirit and the spirit is working against the flesh. And the reality is that if we spend any time thinking about it, we can see too many of these things in our own lives as well. If you um, don't see them, why don't you ask your mother if she's still living when you call her for Mother's Day. So mom, have you seen any works of the flesh in my life lately? They generally are glad to help you. Glad to help you. So next week when you come to our time of corporate confession of sin, you'll have fresh stuff to confess uh, as we do that together, right? They are evident, right? Note we could break into four different categories. Uh, as we read through this list, we could divide these into a category for sexual works of the flesh, for religious works of the flesh, for relational works of the flesh and for substance-related works of the flesh. And you're like, that's exactly how I would outline it, right? And he starts with the sexual uh, aspects of the flesh. Notice how he says it. The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Wow. Uh, there you go. Those, that's quite a triad there. These are all works of the flesh in the area of sexuality. And I've probably already said that word too much for many of you. Uh, but let's break down what these words are referring to. In this idea of, uh, you know, uh, uh, sexual immorality, this comes from the word pornea, which is where we get the word pornography. It primarily has to do with uh, sexual relations between two people outside of the covenant of marriage. Another impurity is actually a word that could mean uh, back in Leviticus, something that is unclean as opposed to clean, something that could be used in the temple as, something, as opposed to something that could not. But here in this context, it takes on the idea of just something that's not what it should be, a, a sexual thought, a sexual inclination, a, a sexual predilection, uh, where it is simply impure. It's not clean. It's not what it ought to be. And then uh, thirdly, this area of sensuality. I love that one writer said sensuality is a, uh, an, ag an aggressive and obvious uh, disregard for all propriety, right? You know, and uh, of course we have to ask, why did Paul start with these three? Well, Paul started with these three because he was writing to a church in Galatia that was in a Roman world. 
and ideas like uh, sexual wantonness and desire and uh, people doing that which was uh, against all propriety were very common in that world. In other words, sexuality was the wharf and warble of the Roman uh, universe, and it was everywhere. It was not uncommon to, uh, you know, see prostitution on the corners, to include uh, such things even in religious worship of uh, the, the religions that were going on in that world. Uh, this was something that the Galatian Christians would have had experience with. This is something that would have been part of their background. And so Paul begins with these things because he's talking to people who understand these works of the flesh. They have struggled with them. To be honest, in much of their life, they have not struggled with them at all. I'm so thankful uh, that I get to live here in 2023 in the United States of America where we do not struggle with any of these things anymore. You know, the idea, right? Wouldn't that be great? Uh, you know, sexual immorality, sensuality, uncleanliness are obviously part of our universe today as well. And in a similar way, our current culture celebrates these things, encourages these things, applauds these things, facilitates these things, because it actually is arguing that in order to be a true and complete human, you need to give unfair fettered access to your desires. Paul would call that the works of the flesh. You know, it is just doing what you would do if there were no restrictions whatsoever. Our world says that's freedom. Paul says that's slavery. Why? Because that's not what you were made to do. That's not how you were made to be. Paul says these are the evident works of the flesh. Now, I don't probably have to jump up and down on that too much. Most of you would probably say, yeah, all those sexual sinners out there are bad. The problem is there are a whole bunch of them sitting in this room right now. Whether in thought or in deed, we all still struggle. The works of the flesh are still doing their thing. But then notice he moves into the category of religious. Two items there, idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry, of course, is setting anything up uh, that you worship, that you vent up any of it. And that's what idolatry is. And there was plenty of it in the first century. And there is plenty of it in the 21st century. Sorcery is an interesting word. Uh, the word sorcery here comes from the Greek word pharmakia which is where we get uh, the word pharmacy. And so it actually has to do with drugs. Now, I know that uh, for some of you who have been struggling with your health insurance needs, you know that prescription drug prices are a little bit of sorcery in and of themselves, right? Nobody can ever figure out how much that uh, little pill is gonna cost, right? Really? I've got enough old people, that should be funny, <laughs> right? I mean, we're all working through that. My dad and, and I talk about that for like 30 minutes when we talk on the phone. Uh, but nonetheless, that's not what it's talking about. There were two, I know, you're all looking at me like, move on, move on. None of us are on prescription drugs, Pastor. Okay. Uh, this word here, the reason why it's interpreted sorcery uh, is because it is using uh, drugs, herbs, other things to give someone an ecstatic experience. It was used in the mystery religions. Uh, it's also a word that referred to poison. 
you know. And so this was used in witchcraft and other things. And, and Paul says these things are obvious. These are works of the flesh to worship uh, something that isn't a god, to participate using all of these potions, for those of you who've read Harry Potter. Uh, you know, so it is all sorcery. But then, of course, there's a third category. I'm going to jump the one in the middle. And that is uh, issues surrounding substances. Really, we see that at the end of the list with drunkenness and orgies. Now, I know there are enough middle school boys and girls here that as soon as they see the word orgies, they're, they're, they're chuckling under their, under their breath. And, but this it doesn't mean exactly what we mean by it. And so we really should interpret this revelries. Uh, this is uh, a celebration of things like bacchanalias, you know, the, the pagan ritual where much froth wine and uh, reverie would happen. And so drunkenness uh, refers to just uh, an obscene uh, excess of consumption of alcohol, uh, whereas revelries is referring to what happens when lots of people do that together. It gets out of hand. One interpreter said it's wild parties. And I'm like, well, there you go. As an MTV generation person, I can understand that, right? That that's what it's like. In other words, the works of the flesh are obvious. It, we want to escape the reality we're in. We're glad to consume, uh, you know, whatever it is we need to consume substance-wise to take us out of our current plane into another plane. And if we can get 50 other people uh, to do it with us, furniture will be broken. And these are obvious works of the flesh. I've said all that. And then and I think most of you probably at this point, having covered the uh, sexual works of the flesh, the religious works of the flesh, and now the use of substances works of the flesh, I have a concern that we might be feeling a little self-righteous. I'm very concerned that we might be sitting here thinking, I am so glad I don't struggle with those things. Be honest enough to say anymore. Right? It's like uh, the older couple I talked to years ago about the reality that everybody sends, and they said, we're just too tired to send too much. And, uh, and maybe you feel that way. But sometimes we come into places like this, and we begin to think, yeah, that's the problem with our world. People who have this unfettered works of the flesh in the area of sensuality and religion and in the use of substances. And you say, that's the problem with the world. Well, one, I want us to be honest enough to say that uh, we still struggle with these things. That it might look different than it looked in the first century, but we are sitting here as people who also have these works of the flesh living out. But I also want to point out that there is a fourth category. And it's an area of relational works of the flesh. As a matter of fact, out of the 15 works of the flesh that Paul mentions here, eight of them are in the areas of relationship. Perhaps this is because earlier here as he's writing to the Galatians, he says uh, in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. If I said that Paul is talking about issues of religion or sexuality or, or substance abuse because that's the world in which the Galatians lived, this was a problem the Galatians had as well. They were sinning against one another relationally. If we go back to verse 13, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Why would Paul write that? 
because they were using their freedom as an opportunity for the flesh and they were not loving one another. And so over half of his list are issues of not loving one another. And to be truthful, if in some self-denial way you can sit here and think that the first groups of uh, works of the flesh don't apply to you, I guarantee you the majority do. Notice what he says. He says that they are enmity. That's, that's hatred. That, that's, that's actually disliking someone just because they disagree with you. Anybody struggle with that here? Strife, that's discord, not the app. But it is, uh, it is this idea that people are not getting along. Discord, strife, jealousy. You know, I love this. Jealousy here, uh, which can be actually used in a good sense, is used here clearly in a negative sense. And it is a perverted zeal. It's a zeal, but it's been perverted. In other words, I want my own glory. I want other people to, to notice me or I want them to really value my cause or my position or whatever it may be. Notice he goes on. Not only do we have issues with jealousy, but we have struggles with fits of anger. Wow, it's a good thing the internet is free of that, right? <laughs> fits of anger, I don't even have to explain what that is. We all know what it's like, right? Rivalries, which really comes from the idea of selfish ambition. Everybody wants what they want, when they want, how they want, no matter what anybody else wants. Dissensions, when people start disagreeing and they begin to break up, they begin saying, I know you want to do that, but we're not going to participate. Or finally, into divisions, a word that's actually the, the root word for heresy, sex. In other words, we make a party. It's us versus them. He says, this is a work of the flesh. You know, and then lastly, envy. If jealousy is the desire for me or my cause to be made much of, envy is the, the, uh, the upset that we have when someone else has something, even if it's just attention that we want for ourselves. I love the old definition, envy is sorrow at the good of another. Now these things are things that exist very much in places like this. You see, when people get together, even people if they get together to worship God, to exalt Jesus Christ, eventually they'll disagree about something. And the question is, am I going to allow my flesh to determine how I respond to that disagreement? Or am I going to walk by the Spirit in love and in service to others in the way I handle that disagreement? Now, I don't know. Y'all are all looking at me kind of blankly. And maybe none of y'all have been through a good church fight before. Right? There is no such thing as a good church fight, just as a side note. They're all bad. Uh, but when I was a kid, we actually had a church split. This is, this is a true story. Uh, because they had a disagreement about the replacement of the carpet in the sanctuary. Group A wanted Ray. This was years and years ago, right? It wasn't making a political statement. It was just some people liked red and some people liked blue. But there are some of you that are sitting here uh, that are the victims of church fights where you have seen all of this stuff working itself out unchecked. 
uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of angers, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Many of you have been in churches that have just broken apart where you couldn't walk in without people arguing with one another. Why? Because they were allowing their flesh to dictate the pace of their relationships. And some of you are here because you were gently asked to leave those churches because maybe you were involved in those situations. Well, you're welcome here one way or the other. This is a place where hopefully you can both heal and repent and believe. But this is not the way Paul wants to see the church of Jesus Christ operating. He wants to see love operating in the church of Jesus Christ. He wants us to, instead of focusing on the things we disagree about, Jesus Christ, we are united in, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants us to watch our own heart when we begin to justify all of these works of the flesh because you believe that other person isn't just wrong, but now you've decided they're immoral, which somehow justifies you being sinful in your words and actions against them. You know, the problem is that the church of Jesus Christ lives in a world that this just as much of, as the sins of sexuality or religion or the abuse of substances, this is the world in which we live. We live in a world where you cannot disagree with someone politely anymore, can you? Someone says they should put a new red light up at the entrance of our neighborhood. We cannot simply say, you know, that's going to add 45 seconds to my commute. Therefore, being the self-centered person I am, I would rather not have a light there so I can zoom through the intersection so that I can get to the coffee shop 45 seconds earlier. Instead, we say, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard, right? Who cares how many accidents happen there? I don't want anybody who thinks there should be a red light there is a fascist. That's like the ultimate, right? You know, or if you're, I'm sorry, I forgot which church I'm in. Anybody who wants something like that is a communist, right? Right? I mean, that's what, yeah, just for a second, I forgot where I was. It's okay. You know, we throw around these words and and we don't politely have a conversation. I can't tell you how many articles I've seen online. You know, when can we return to civil conversation? And I'm like, when people stop being sinners, when the works of the flesh stop, that's when we'll be able to have civil conversation. The problem is some of you are being habituated day in and day out in the way you dialogue about societal things, social things, political things, you can't turn it off when you come in a place like this. You know, it's the work of the flesh no matter what sphere in which you are having that disagreement. It's a work of the flesh. Am I more characterized by my fits of anger, my envy, my jealousy? Am I more defined by picking sides and talking about how terrible the other side is, or am I more characterized by allowing my faith to express itself through love and service? Paul says one is a work of the flesh, and it's evident, and the other is the fruit of the Spirit. So which is it? How does that work in our life? Do you feel like I'm jumping up and down on that a little bit? 
Just to be clear, for those of you who are visiting, I'm not aware of any big fights we're having in this church currently. We might have a fight about this. I don't know. You know, we're pretty copacetic. We get along pretty well. I'm very, very thankful for that. Actually, over my year plus that I've been here, I would say actually there is a very low ebb of this kind of thing. Praise God. But it can pick up in a moment, can it? And so we need to be thinking about it. How are we allowing the works of the flesh to go unchecked in our own life, in our thinking, in our speech, in our actions? This is what Paul is asking. Why? Because there's a danger. There's a danger, and this danger should pull you up, but quick. Notice, I warn you in the verse, inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'll be honest, I hear this kind of expression, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, often being thrown around by self-righteous people talking about somebody else. But that is not why Paul writes it. Paul writes it for us to look in the mirror and say, are these kinds of things, the things that are characteristic of my life? And if so, should I be concerned? Now, the problem is that sometimes we read a statement like this, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we think that while we don't work to be right with God, we can do things that make us out with God. And that's wrong. Paul's been writing a whole book here to the Galatians to say the exact opposite. It's not because of what you do or what you don't do that you are right with God, but solely because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you believe by faith. That is it. But what Paul is saying is that if that's true and the spirit of God is in you, then there should be a marked difference in you than people who've never heard of Jesus. The spirit should be moving in you, should be working in you. And if you look in the mirror or you have a conversation with someone who will give you an honest assessment about how you're living your life, using your words, acting uh, with your time and energy, and they say, really, you're characterized by these works of the flesh, Paul says you need to be concerned. You need to ask the question, am I really depending on Jesus? Have I really trusted in him? Or was that some sort of superficial icing I spread over my cake? But it's not a working reality in my life. I like it, uh, a couple uh, commentators on this that are very helpful. One, Douglas Moo, who I've been using his commentary on Galatians, very helpful. Uh, He says, it doesn't mean that if any of these things exist in your life, you're not a follower of Christ. He says, it does mean that a consistent preoccupation with these sins resulting in a life marked by them rather than by the fruit of the Spirit reveals that such a person is probably not being led by the Spirit. In other words, we don't get a relationship with God because we don't do these things or because we do the opposite of them. We have a relationship with God through Jesus. But if we have a relationship with God, that changes us. And so Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit to ask, are these things more characteristic of me? Then the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll talk about in the fall. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Just in case you don't want to look down and read them. Which is more characteristic in my life? He says, look, if the works of the flesh are what is blatantly evident, then there's a danger. There's a danger. I always like in these kind of situations to read very old dead guys. John Calvin from the 16th century. Sometimes we hear these things and we say, well, I'm in trouble. 
Calvin writes, but in this way we shall be told our All are cut off from hope of salvation for who is there that is not chargeable with some of these sins? How about that? Even in Geneva, people struggle with the works of the flesh. There are three of you that should be like, huh, how about that? (laughs) I reply, Paul does not threaten that all who have sinned, but that all who remain impenitent shall be excluded from the kingdom of God. The saints themselves often fall into grievous sins, but they return to the path of righteousness, that which they do not allow. And therefore they are not included in this catalog. All threatenings of the judgments of God call us to repentance. They are accompanied by a promise that those who repent will obtain forgiveness. But if we continue obstinate, they remain as a testimony from heaven against us. I love it. Calvin says, look, everybody struggles with some of these. Some of us struggle with all of these. But the question is, is this characteristic of my life? And secondly, is there a struggle going on against these things? When I see these works of the flesh in my life, does it wake me up like a splash of cold water? Does it cause me to say, oh my How am I acting in this way or thinking or speaking in this way? Lord, forgive me. And we turn and lean upon Jesus Christ. The concern is when it doesn't bother me at all. When it's just my pattern. And I might, you know, give a, 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 you know, really quick, pathetic, verbal sorry when my friend or spouse, you know, calls me or checks me on it. You know, they say, hey, you shouldn't be saying things like that. And you say, yeah, I'm sorry. But it really doesn't, it really doesn't slow you down. See, Paul wants us to see the, the danger. And so what is the answer? What is the answer? We see the danger. What is the answer? Verse 16 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the works of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit is the answer. How do I do that? By keeping my eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ. By staying close to what the Spirit is saying and doing in my life. By being a quick repenter and believer. See, whenever we talk about something like this and we talk about all these sins, I know there are at least three of you here that are struggling right now with guilt. Maybe it's in the area of pornea or impurity or sensuality or maybe it's a, a use of substances in a way that is causing you to lose your faculties and you're feeling bad about it right now. That's okay if you don't stop there. Don't just feel bad about it. Feel bad about it because it doesn't reflect the life of the spirit that God has called you to. Feel bad about it and allow that negative feeling to drive you into the arms of Jesus and say, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you know what he does? Have mercy on sinners. And ask him to forgive you. And you say, but it happens all the time. What would be wrong with all the time having to see my sin, look at Jesus, repent and believe? What would be wrong if that was my whole life? Lord, see, I still need you. Have mercy on me. You know what we would be doing? Constantly looking to Jesus. There's an old expression that we use when we talk about the gospel that for every look at your sin, you need to take three looks at the cross. 
And everybody I know adds to that. <laughs> For every look at your sin, take seven looks at the cross. For every look at your sin, take 10 looks at the cross. Take 50 looks at the cross. How about we just keep looking at the cross? And Paul says, if I'm doing that, I'm walking by the Spirit and there's going to be at least a little less sin. In other words, your sin isn't your problem. Your giving in to what your flesh naturally does is the problem. The problem is that you are not depending on the power of Jesus. You still think you can handle it on your own. Fellow sinner, you can't. If you could do it on your own, Jesus would not have had to become a man and live the perfect life and take your penalty on the cross. If you could do it on your own, that would have been nonsense and a colossal waste of the divine son of God. But you can't do it on your own. So Paul is saying, look at yourself and see if there are evidences that you keep trying to do it by your natural fleshly abilities and instead repent and lean on Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you. Lord, it's a hard topic, especially knowing that we won't get to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and the rest until the fall. But Lord, continue to work in us by your spirit that we will not be prideful, that we think we have less struggle with the flesh, the strength and power to deal with these things, but that we will be dependent faithful followers of Jesus Christ, that we will keep our eyes on Jesus and the cross, that we will know the power of the spirit in our life. Oh Lord, that we might experience the freedom that you have called us to. Oh Lord, help us with all of this understanding to be merciful to those that we meet and play with and work with that are still struggling with the works of the flesh themselves. May we have empathy and understanding because we are a sinner like them. But may we also be joyful because we have a hope that they could use. Give us grace to be hope and joy spreaders that all may live according to the purpose for which you have created them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.